Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. The more you ship, the more you save. With Canada Post Solutions for Small Business, we'll reward your repeat business with automatic savings. Visit CanadaPost.ca forward slash small business to see how you can start saving up to 34% on shipping in Canada. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and changemakers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and the lives of those driving the entrepreneurial movement in Canada. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Curtis, and welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. And today, we're thrilled to have Anne Whalen, president and CEO of Seafair Capital, on the show today. A Canadian entrepreneur, innovator, community and business leader, Anne is the founder and CEO of the Seafair Group. She has grown a small family business into a thriving portfolio of small and medium-sized organizations. In addition to leading her group of companies, she is also director of the Bank of Canada and of CSA Group, a Canadian standards organization with global operations in testing, inspection, and certification. She has received many accolades for entrepreneurship and leadership at the national level, including being named to Canada's top 100 most powerful most. I'm going to do that one quickly again, including being named to Canada's top 100 most powerful women by WXN in 2016 and Atlantic Business Magazine CEO of the Year in 2014. Anne is here today to talk with us about how she's seen the Canadian entrepreneurial landscape shift and how entrepreneurs can stay in love with their businesses or fall in love with them all over again. Welcome to the show, Anne. Thank you very much for having me. We're very happy to have you here. So first things first, what are the top three things you want entrepreneurs to take away from our conversation today? Um, well, let me think. You know, I've tried to think about how we would talk today about um, a number of different ways of looking at entrepreneurship. And so one of the things I, I would like for people to take away today is uh, a real um understanding and engagement in how we can build uh, the ecosystem for entrepreneurs in Canada and how important that is uh, to the health of entrepreneurs and their businesses. And then at a more uh, operational, tangible level, you know, for uh, for business owners, there are a couple of things that I've learned. Uh, you know, I'm over 50 now, and so I'm uh, a different 
balance of energy and wisdom than I had 15 years ago, uh, but still a good balance overall, I guess. Um, so one of the things I really wanted to, to, to hit home for entrepreneurs is that, you know, growth hurts and um, as much as it's a positive thing and that it's important uh, to have a level of self-care around that and, um, you know, to understand when you need to ask for help. And the third thing really is uh, that age-old advice to do what you love. And um, you talked about falling in love with your business again. It's something that I'm doing some work on now and, and maybe one of these days writing the book on. I've started that. I don't know if I'll ever finish it. But, you know, to really re-engage with the things you love about your business and figure out how to um, get the other things done in a way that still keeps you engaged and loving what you do because being an entrepreneur is hard work and so you have to love it for it to be successful and I, I guess so talking a bit about that lesson learned over 20 years of, uh, of entrepreneurship. Mm. I, I love those points, and I think the one that I really do want to go back to uh, before we move on is that that idea of of falling back in love with your business. Because as you said, everybody always talks so much about needing to do what you love, but nobody ever talks about what happens when you fall out of love with it. So I want to know from your experience uh, when you started to feel yourself falling out of love with your business and how you got back in love with it. Well, you know, it's not that different uh, than a relationship, and I want to talk about anyone in particular, but I'm sure uh, all the listeners have fallen out of love with uh, something, somebody at some point, and you know that feeling when you start to see the cracks in that relationship and say, you know what, this is, this is more work than it used to be, and I'm not finding the joy here, and maybe there's things about it that are really not healthy for you even, and so you uh, become you're not your greatest version of yourself. And um, then eventually, you know, you break up or you you heal that relationship. And it's, it's exactly the same in business. So, you know, for me, um, I started uh, in a small home care agency, which I didn't love. So I had to fall in love with it first. And what made me fall in love with it was realizing how to start to grow it and when you nurture something how it can blossom which is also just like love and so I I grew to love that and I loved the social purpose that we have always had and then one day you know I woke up and I was dealing with you know financing and HR issues and tax and needing to move offices two or three times because we were growing and unions and all kinds of things that were you know not in my toolkit and that um, made me you know not love it quite so much and so um, like everything you put your head down and you say you know what I'll work through it or, or we'll work through it and there's a point at which you have to to um, evaluate what you want out of the business and what brings you fulfillment as the leader of the business and maybe in some cases that's not being the leader of the business in my case it was realizing I needed to, uh, because I have a diversified group of companies, I needed to hand over the reins really on some of the more challenging things to people with more expertise uh, and more energy for that than I had. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an excellent um, 
grower, I think, and nurturer of, of growing a business, but perhaps not the best or most efficient steward of that business. And so the stewardship, you know, the the worrying about what I consider to be the small stuff, but is really, really important stuff, that that's not my strength. And so when you're when you're doing things, you're spending all your day doing things that you're no good at, you can fall out of love with your business pretty fast. And um, so so you gotta kinda, you know, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it is yours. It's, it's almost the same uh, with the business. Uh, you know, um, that sounds really kind of corny, but it really is true that um, whether it's a small, you know, couple of person operation or like ours, pretty well a thousand people, um, you, you have to find what it is that um, brings you some joy. Now, there's no mistaking that just like a long term loving relationship, you're going to have your days, right? Where you're just like, okay, just punching some time here today. But really, truly, um, it has to overall be fulfilling. And, and I, I like how you touched on that note of, um, self-reflection and how important that can be to be checking in with yourself and being like, okay, like, are these the safeguards that I've set in place for myself to, uh, to kind of know that, uh, that this is still something that comes from the bottom of my heart with, uh, with things that I do here every day. And I do think that's incredibly important for every entrepreneur to, uh, to put in their business. Absolutely. It is. And you know, uh, when you get on that roller coaster of, uh, particularly a fast growing company, um, it can be so easy to fall into the trap of, of, of doing everything that everybody tells you you should do because you want to do the best for your business and for the people who work for you. And then you realize someday I've got nothing left, you know, and I've, I've tried to follow the advice of every single person everywhere and it has left me unfocused and exhausted. And, you know, that's not a good place for entrepreneurs to be. So, and moving and pulling the scope back a little bit to take a little bit more of a, uh, of a pan Canadian view, um, you used to sit on the board at BDC and now you sit on the board of the bank of Canada. So you used to sit on the board of the business development bank of Canada, and now you sit on the board of the bank of Canada. Could you share how that's changed your view of entrepreneurship, both in Canada, but also for Newfoundland as well? That's a great question. You know, when I joined BDC, the only thing that I can really relate that to, I got a call from a recruiter one day and, uh, you know, I'll use the quote from Sheryl Sandberg. She said, when you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat. And so I said yes to the BDC because I know and understand how important the BDC is to entrepreneurs. I being one of the entrepreneurs to whom it was important at various points along the way. And, you know, um, my view on the outside and then my view when I watched the conversations and participated in the conversations at the board table, um, my view changed pretty significantly. And I think the BDC was also changing at that time, in fairness. There was a lot of, um, it was right after the BDC was just rebranded and you saw all those, um, you know, great ads about, uh, you know, the bank of entrepreneurs and the baker staying up all night and all those things. And so there was a real energy at the BDC around getting back to that core of really supporting uh, Canadian uh, entrepreneurs. When there was a whole other piece to BDC about supporting the ecosystem that I um, really valued and uh, was really pleased to participate in uh, some of that, particularly the uh, 
women's entrepreneurship strategy, which was launched um, while I was on the board. And, uh, you know, only 16% of business owners in Canada or something like that uh, are women. And uh, but we do know the stats around uh, the success rate of uh, women owned businesses. And so there was a commitment by the government of Canada uh, to um, <clears throat> double that, I believe, by uh, 2025. Um, and that was, you know, a two billion dollar commitment or something like that. It's a lot of money. And it wasn't just targeted at lending. It was targeted at uh, venture. It was targeted at, you know, supportive ecosystems. So all of those things. Um, you know, have really broadened my perspective on what uh, a development bank can do. And we're very fortunate in Canada. I had the opportunity to participate in a, a global uh, forum for women entrepreneurs, you know, during that time. And uh, I learned, you know, how lucky we are in Canada to have what we have in terms of that uh, business development support. So um, mm-hmm. I've become uh, you know, uh, even more of a fan, I suppose, than I was. And that's not to say that there's not lots of other work that the BDC can be doing. One of the concerns I know that the board um, talked a lot about was making sure that access to capital for, um, you know, fast growth firms uh, kept them in Canada and didn't didn't make them need to, you know, leave and set up shop somewhere else in order to get access to the kind of growth capital that they needed. And that's important in Canada and it's important to that ecosystem. So that's a nice way to circle back to what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, A bunch of um, people who came out of the Genesis Center, which is our um, incubator here in uh, St. John's, uh, just did the the largest round ever uh, done in Canada, Verifin. Congratulations. Yeah, I, I mean, not my business. I wish it was, but it was, you know, <laughs> fantastic. And those guys, you know, they did it from here. So that's the other lesson. If you can build a business like that in an island in the middle of the North Atlantic with, you know, 500,000 people and uh, still, you know, everybody talks about the tech shortages. Everybody talks about, you know, you need to be in Mars or Bay Street or whatever. Those things are advantages, but you can do that from anywhere. So I have deep um, appreciation for the entrepreneurs right across Canada and what they do and that there's success stories coming from everywhere. So, you know, that my perspective on that has matured a bit uh, over time. Because um, it's it looks a lot easier when you're in Newfoundland. It looks a lot easier when there are more people and there's more access to venture financing and angel investors and all those things. Um, you know, you can make a list of those folks um, and have a lot of lines left over on your one sheet of paper uh, in Newfoundland. And and there's more in other parts of the country. But um, you know, BDC helps with that, and um, and the, the government of Newfoundland helps with that. Now, when I switched over to um, to sit on the board of the Bank of Canada, uh, that was a fantastic uh, and is a fantastic privilege to be able to do that. Um, here's what I here's my big takeaway so far in terms of entrepreneurship. When you look at how the economy of the country is doing, which is obviously what the uh, Bank of Canada does when they set the monetary policy, you begin to truly understand. Um, how much of our GDP is made up of small and medium enterprise and how important uh, our competitive position is um, in trade globally. 
and also how important it is on a regional basis to um, make sure that access to financing and the, the overall health of those economies is in, in a good place. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when you see firsthand how business performance affects, you know, all Canadians' economic health, it really drives home the message that supporting the entrepreneurial ecosystem and supporting entrepreneurs is good for everyone, not just for them. And, you know, so um, those two uh, board positions together have really, really sort of broadened my thinking on just exactly how important entrepreneurship is to every Canadian, not just to the entrepreneurs. Mm. And that's, and that's something that I want to get uh, definitely a better sense of uh, from a Newfoundland perspective specifically. So I'd like to say that, uh, again, as you said, it's a perfect example of the fact that, you know, if you can build a company that has, you know, the largest closing in Canadian history, as you said, on Newfoundland, then you can do it anywhere in Canada. And I want to know uh, how you've seen entrepreneurship change in Newfoundland over the past 10 years, and if there's some unique challenges that come with being an entrepreneur on the rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll start with the challenges because, um, you know, the weather in Newfoundland is uh, can be wild. It's, it's plus 10 degrees here today, and it's, um, you know, winter. Uh, but it's also uh, really super windy, and so the boats that bring across uh, product to and from the province are all shut down, and that happens a lot here, so uh, transportation isn't cheap or easy. Um, so, you know, certain types of production just don't make a lot of sense. Um, all the banks are on one street in downtown St. John's pretty much, and you can go door to door and cover them all in five minutes. And that's pretty much it for lending. But there are, you know, there are national programs that we can certainly access. But um, the strength of Newfoundland is, is almost the same thing. If you are an entrepreneur with a great idea, um, it's easier to build relationships because it's a smaller place and you probably know somebody who knows the person you want to talk to. So that that's a real strength, I think, in our uh, culture here in Newfoundland and Labrador. But what I've seen change over the years. So let's, you know, when I, um, when my business really started to grow, it was say 2007, eight, nine. So, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, um, Entrepreneurship then was really viewed as self-employment and owner-run sort of Main Street businesses. That was how the ecosystem approached entrepreneurial development. It was, you know, open up a business. And by open up, they meant customers would come through your door in some way. And we have pivoted a lot in the province since then to do a couple of things. One is to focus on export and services and, and tech, not necessarily the kind of California high tech, uh, but technology enabled businesses. And uh, there are some uh, excellent stories of that. Um, the guys who are doing MISA thermostats, uh, engineers that are engineering faculty, and we have a fantastic engineering faculty, and they invented this 
uh, thermostat and you know they're getting they're they're doing the work of that smart thermostat they're doing all the technology work here they don't they're not worrying about the product here obviously it's being produced elsewhere so that's a shift that's really changed and that's changed in terms of how uh, the public views what entrepreneurship is it's changed in terms of where you're likely to see some uh, funding supports in place the university has been um, really strong in supporting that and you're even finally starting to crack the door open with some of the government agencies starting to look at some kind of innovation. It's funny, right? Because, you know, governments talk about we need to be innovative and then, you know, they're the last of that party usually. So, and that's, that's true here too. Um, so, you know, that's, that's all changed over that time. The other thing that I would say uh, that is really fundamentally different is women-owned businesses. I was involved, and I have been for a long time, in the organization ENLO, the Newfoundland and Labrador Organization of Women Entrepreneurs. And, you know, 15 years ago, um, those people would, for the most part, be operating retail. They'd be operating tourism and hospitality businesses, you know, um, other types of service businesses, which characterize what a lot of women-owned businesses are because they have, you know, lower capital costs and they're, you know, more labor-intensive, those kinds of things. Now you're seeing, um, you know, women in tech, you're seeing women in all kinds of traditionally male-dominated industries. There's engineering, you know, and, and obviously computer science and all those things. And so that door has really opened wide as well. And, and there's a number of reasons for that too. That's that's a great dive and a great look into that, Anne, and and really thank you for painting that uh, that kind of whole picture of uh, of really this the shift and change in culture and industry is is really what it seems to be a, a shift in the culture of an industry in terms of recognizing that it's not you know all just about these these mainstream shops as you said and opening up a business doesn't necessarily. Uh, I mean, it, it seems in some senses that uh, opening up a business uh, and opening your front doors is the same as putting up a website. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I should have mentioned, and it really is really fantastic, um, the faculty of business at Memorial, uh, and, you know, I will, in full disclosure, I'm a graduate, I did my MBA there, uh, and I had a fantastic experience there has started a really innovative MBA program. It's a master's in business in social enterprise. It's the first one in Canada. And that's another thing that you're seeing change in Newfoundland and Labrador. As we've indicated, the way forward in Newfoundland, which is the plan for innovation and growth for the next 10 years in the province, there is an increasing emphasis on the value of social entrepreneurship um, and that's changed. You know, there used to be the private sector and the public sector, and that's it. And now we're starting to see how how they can work together, how business can do social good, how governments should have a business focus, all of those things. And, you know, I think that's really a strength of Newfoundland because we are so small and there's so many remote communities it certainly speaks to the need for social enterprise. Um, our own businesses are working through the process right now of uh, becoming uh, B Corp certified. And um, that's something that I'm really pleased about. Uh, but that's a growing trend here in the province as well. And I think a very important one. It speaks to who we are as a 
as a culture, and I think it's it's a very um, uh, important thing for Canada to consider overall to continue to support uh, social entrepreneurship. That was a point I was actually going to touch on myself as well, because I would say that social entrepreneurship really would seem to be a great fit for Newfoundland in the sense that, again, as you mentioned, there are some specific challenges that come with being a uh, a small island with a small population that doesn't have the same access to uh, the support that anybody on Bay Street in Toronto would. And it seems like it's a great kind of aligning of values for um, business that does good beyond the bottom line. And I, I th- very much so, and we're on it <laughs> exactly. And and I think uh, I think really what I want to kind of, of draw on from that point is um, being in Atlantic Canada. I, I want to touch on what are the feelings like in Atlantic Canada with some of the tension and polarization we've been seeing kind of across the world with things like Brexit and and things along of, of that ilk. Do you feel like there's a, a, a building tension between things on the East Coast versus business on the West Coast? Or is there this this opportunity to kind of meet in the middle and, and have business span this gap? It's a fantastic question. And, and one of the things I think it's important for listeners to know is that lots of people in the oil sands uh, are related to people from Atlantic Canada or are people from Atlantic Canada originally. So... You know, there's a deep affinity between northern Alberta and uh, Newfoundland and Labrador and and truly the rest of Atlantic Canada as well. Uh, The joke in Newfoundland is um, St. John's is the biggest uh, Newfoundland city and Fort McMurray is the next biggest. And (laughs) that's probably true um, in terms of population of Newfoundlanders. Anyway, so we, you know, we feel that pain and uh, we felt it in this province um, all along when the price of oil fell, not only because of our own oil industry here, uh, which is Newfoundland's largest industry right now, I believe, might be second or first, but it's up there, Uh, but also because all the people who were working and commuting back and forth uh, were, you know, so many people lost their jobs after the oil shock. So there's a deep um, empathy for what's happening uh, with respect to uh, Wexit, if you want to call it that. So one of the things that's unique about Atlantic Canada is that I think we've always sort of felt a little bit detached from mm. Canada. In Newfoundland, it's partly because we're an island. We were the last to join the province. Um, we've had our own issues with um, our resources and, and who benefits from them vis-a-vis um, Churchill Falls. And so um while there is that deep empathy for uh, people in the West, I think it's tempered somewhat with, you know, we understand um, what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. But, you know, we, um, we've stuck with Canada for this long and, and we really shouldn't start talking about uh, separating the country. We're very fortunate to live in Canada. And I think that Newfoundlanders, I can't speak for the rest of Atlantic Canada, but that's the sentiment here. Now, mind you, there's been, families who've had some harsh uh, divisions around this because half of them live in Alberta and half of them live in uh, Newfoundland. And, you know, that's been tough at, a, at an individual level. But I think it's, it's interesting that the new minister of natural resources uh, is actually uh, a Newfoundlander, uh, Seamus O'Regan. And um, he was before that the minister of um, Indigenous Affairs. And uh, so 
it's an interesting perspective to bring together uh, someone who's had both of those portfolios and who comes from an oil producing province to see if we can't um, put aside our differences or um, at least find a, find a way forward. And so I'm hopeful that a Newfoundlander is going to be a big part of solving this problem. Uh, you know, it speaks though larger to um, a growing, you mentioned it uh, in your question, but what's happening with all over the world with Brexit and with, you know, the U.S. and without straying too far into politics, um, I think it's important for us all to remember uh, this, the collective good here. Uh, when you start everybody looking out for their own individual benefits the most, you know, that's when we all run into trouble. And I think uh, culturally we're seeing that shift and um, it's, I see why people are doing it, but it's, it's not going to end well. So I think we all need to take a step back and try to collaborate more with each other. And building on that, how or where would you see a role for uh, Canadian government in aiding in, uh, in in creating this more unified approach to uh, bringing Canada forward? You know, one of the things that, that we could do that would... Just to clarify too, specifically from, a, uh, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Yeah, I gotcha. Uh, one of the things <laughs> I think we could do is deal with interprovincial trade. You know, we talk in Canada about NAFTA and, um, you know, or the, the new NAFTA and um, about trade agreements and about trade with other countries and about exporting and all that. And, you know, we can't ship wine easily from one province to another or many other things. And there's so many different regulations. We've got to clean that up. Um, we've got to make it easier for provinces and businesses from each province to do business with each other. And I think that would go a long way to uh, taking down some of those silos. And I think the Canadian government uh, could do that pretty easily. And I think, uh, you know, we've talked about that at the, um, at the Bank of Canada as, as one of the um, influencers on, you know, how, what our GDP is overall. Um, and that's a really and it's not a simple thing to do uh, because there's lots of complexities to it, but it's it's not hard from a policy standpoint to do it. Um, the other thing I think that would really help is um, to support uh, entrepreneurs in providing solutions that address particular interest groups' concerns. Um, and by that I mean... I'll give you an example. So uh, First Nations, if if there's an issue around um, land use and and they're, they're quite rightly so um, for a large oil development, that type of thing, there are ways to really help that community through um, a royalty agreement, but also entrepreneurial development so that it doesn't become uh, just, you know, an envelope of money, but it becomes an envelope of enterprise and opportunity and, and that's driven at the policy level. And I think there's a lot of room there to do more. Mm. I, I, I like that because it seems like you're what, what you're kind of honing in on is uh, policy encouraging empowerment of, um, of, of the people who would be on the receiving end of it. Yep, absolutely. And, and, you know, uh, one of our uh, companies does a fair bit of work with uh, first nations and despite all of the challenges uh, that our, our Canadians who uh, are members of First Nations face, 
there's a lot of resiliency there too. And there's a lot of creativity and that there's a lot of opportunity in that for, and there's a lot of community. Those are great uh, opportunities for entrepreneur, entrepreneurial work and particularly that whole social entrepreneurship um, thing that we talked about earlier. And so that'll go a long way to making people feel more um, empowered and included. Mm. And, and I think uh, one thing I, I do want to touch on kind of going scaling uh, or zooming back in let shall we say down to a to a founder level again I, I want to know what advice you would have for an entrepreneur trying to overcome let's say a personal challenge that they may have with starting and scaling a business so moving again into this lens of, of going back down to uh, to a personal level problem and saying uh, how and where to look for a kind of aid in getting this kind of empowerment back for themselves through their business. I'm not sure if you um, know this or not, but I, I think the uh, one third or one half of entrepreneurs, I don't know exactly what the statistic is, but report uh, struggling with depression. I don't know if uh, that's the creative mind of the entrepreneur that also has that, or if it's the work and the entrepreneurism that, you know, contributes to that it's, it's a chicken or egg kind of question but I know from talking to my friends who are entrepreneurs that one of the worst feelings is feeling alone in the decision making it, it is lonely at the top of, of a small pyramid or a big one um, what I found works for me and I don't mean to preach because everybody has different solutions but of all the things that I have tried when I have felt um, really challenged or insecure or exhausted and depressed or any of those things is um, a peer support group. And I'm not talking about, you know, therapy. I'm talking about uh, a peer group of entrepreneurs. I belong to the Women's Presidents Organization, but there are others. Uh, and WPO for me has become um, really a fantastic network of peer supports. And that isn't just you know, talking about how to grow your business. It's talking about how to run your business, how to deal with the the failures that you have and how to deal with the successes that you have. Sometimes success is just as hard to manage as failure. Um, you know, how to deal with imposter syndrome if you do have a success. And, you know, those are things that are tough to give voice to when you're supposed to be in charge and have all the answers. And so you need to find a safe place to do that. And you can only unload so much of that on your family or your friends who think that the entrepreneurial lifestyle is, you know, very glamorous and because you go on trips and you do things and, you know, after you've unpacked your bag for the 50th time in some place that you, you know, and you're missing your kid's music recital, I've done that, uh, you don't feel that glamour quite so much. And so you start to question yourself. I, that's what I commonly hear anyway, and that's how I felt. Um, and that peer network has been fantastic for that. Now, not everybody is, is cut out for that sort of thing, but um, I wouldn't have thought I was. And the women who've, who are part of that network have become my friends at different levels. Some of them I'm closer to than others. But I tell you what, the, the confidence boost in that is they all have my back and I have theirs and we know it. And if we, you know, if I ever ran into a big business problem and I sent out an email six of them would show up the next day to have a chat about it. That's how we work. And that is a really uh, strong uh, support network, both on a personal and a business level, to be able to tap into. 
So those business networks exist in many forms um, throughout Canada and for different size businesses. Uh, WPO is one of, of many. Um, but everyone I know who belongs to one of those networks really takes away a lot. And, and of course, you get what you put in. Uh, you have to go. You have to show up. You have to uh, be open. Uh, but I, I've gotten tremendous value, and I know many, many other people who have as well. The other thing I would say about how to how to solve those sort of personal problems is to allow yourself permission Everybody talks about failure, and, and no, nobody wants to talk about actually failing, but uh, allow yourself permission to not be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. If you believe that you're going to grow your business or even maintain your business um, without mistakes, including very costly ones, ones that probably almost kill you, uh, then you're probably wrong. I mean, I've, I've made some uh, big mistakes in terms of businesses that I took on or directions that I went that I've had to correct from. And one of the toughest things to do is to admit, yeah, you know what, that was wrong and I've got to regroup. And so having uh, other people that you trust who know your businesses a bit, but are outside your business. So, you know, they're not, they're not immediately involved uh, can, can be really helpful in giving you some shared experience to guide your way. And yeah, I, I think that's a very valuable piece of advice, especially coming and trying to find people who are really on at a, at a lateral level to you, finding people who can who have shared experiences, who are at the same uh, level in the pyramid as you are, because there are people who can share those kinds of experiences. And, and I want to build on that um, on, again, that that sharing of experiences. You said that much better than I did, actually. <laughs> You're absolutely right. That that lateral peer support is super important. Mm. And, and my last question as we wrap up this conversation, I do want to build on it with that and say, um, what do you think as a founder, as an entrepreneur for yourself, what do you think the most tangible takeaway from our conversation is that entrepreneurs could implement in their businesses immediately after listening? Well, you know, you can't do much about the government policy and all of those things. But I believe that maybe the most practical thing to do um, that you could take away from this conversation is to find yourself, if you don't have that, at least one peer who's in a different area of business than you are, so there's no competition overlap in any way, that you can talk to. Not a mentorship relationship, a true lateral uh, relationship. When you're in a small town, that might be somebody that you Skype with who's in another area. It might be somebody you meet at a conference. Um, that's huge. It, you know, if you're at a larger business, you'll have an advisory board and all that. It's not the same because they have a job to do for your organization. It's finding somebody who doesn't have a job to do for your organization who can be your person that you talk to. And uh, that's uh, it reminds you as an entrepreneur that you are a person and that you're probably pretty good at your job, even though you probably don't feel like that all the time. Um, and to me, that's made a world of difference in you know, how I think I lead my organization and how I feel about it. It's a part of the falling back in love with it. Again, if, if we go back to the beginning, it's, um, you know, somebody else can help you see that, you know, this is not so bad. You just need to maybe do this or that or whatever. And, uh, and just, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved. And when you share it with somebody who doesn't have any skin in the game, that's a really good thing. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, for sharing your experience, your wisdom, and your expertise, and, and really kind of honing in again on 
not only at a at a national provincial level uh, with your experience and insights on government policy on how Newfoundland fits into the Canadian ecosystem on the Canadian eco- entrepreneurial ecosystem as a whole but also right down to a founder level and, and giving those kinds of insights and support thank and you for joining us this week on the startup canada podcast wake up a show dedicated to, to unlocking the potential of, the of every heart, entrepreneur with access to inspiring no stories in and tangible lessons to help you to, um, run your business until next really week i'm your host matt curtis effort and go check out the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag startup chats on twitter every wednesday and friday it has been my pleasure thanks for your really insightful questions all the best Dan. take care take care